Welcome to the Desert Life Church podcast. We're so excited you've tuned in to hear our weekend message. From wherever you are listening, we hope you're inspired by this message. How you doing? Awesome. Well, if we haven't met before, my name is Sam, and I'm on team here at Desert Life Church, and I am really excited to be sharing tonight. I believe I've got a word from God, and I've been praying this week and reading the word this week specifically for right now, and I am extremely excited. And so we are going to get straight into it tonight. If you have your Bibles tonight, we are going to be reading from John chapter 15, and it's going to be up on the screen behind me in just a few short moments Um, But before we get there, I want to share with you um, a fun little story, some stuff that's happening in the Harris world at the moment. I am, as many of you know, a father of two. Um, We have uh, baby Isla, who's just over here, and um, Isla Marie Ruth, and she's somewhere between zero and five months old. You'll have to ask Haley to find out how old she is. Uh, I think they still do the weeks thing at this time, but... um, I've been overloaded, and so you'll have to ask Haley. And Judah Obadiah James, our oldest, he is two as of yesterday. He celebrated his second birthday yesterday, so make sure you go say happy birthday to my son, okay? (laughs) After the service, I think he's in the kids' room right now. Uh, And yesterday, um, it was Saturday, it was a day off, hanging out, having fun together as a family, went and did a few things. And uh, in the morning, we, um, we... Got, we called uh, Haley's parents, Peter and Debbie Imms, who live in Tasmania. They used to live here and were a part of this church for a long time. Uh, but they've moved to Tasmania to do different things like build a boat and stuff like that. And, um, and we FaceTimed them yesterday, and they got to wish happy birthday to their first grandchild, Judah, two years old. And uh, we were reminiscing, Haley and I, with Pete and Deb, on uh, an interaction that happened when we were in the hospital. Haley had just given birth, 2.01 a.m., uh, 2.01 p.m., sorry, um, and um, uh, Pete and Deb came and visited not too long after that to meet their first grandchild, and uh, they came through the doors, and there was tears being shed all around. I'm not much of a crier, so it was sort of uncomfortable for me. Uh, There's tears being shed all around, and uh, we announced to Haley's parents, Pete and Deb, this is uh, your grandson, this is Judah. Um, and uh, they were all excited, and Pete took Judah, Haley's dad took Judah, and was walking around the hospital room, and he probably hadn't been holding Judah for more than 30 seconds, and he said this, he goes, I just can't wait until you're five years old. <laughs> and being new parents, like really new parents, that was like, a, okay, hang on, step back, relax, two years old, oh my goodness. And uh, it was something that Pete said because he was so excited to be able to take his grandson out and and go on the boat and do all these things. Uh, And specifically because, obviously, those who have had kids know that when they're really little, this is my opinion, actually. This may not be a popular opinion in the room, but when they're really little, they're not really all that fun. They're not really all that exciting. You can't really hold them. You can only really hold them in like one or two positions, and they don't do anything except poop and cry. And so you have to deal with that. 
Um, but Judah now being two, the observation we made based off of uh, the interaction that, that Pete and, and, and we had in the hospital room when he said, man, I just can't wait till he's five. The observation that we made was as a two-year-old, Judah has such a strong personality. If you've ever met Judah, if you've ever talked with him, played with him, whatever, he is a sassy kid. He's a leader. Every single day when Haley and I go pick him up from daycare, he's in trouble for bullying some kid or for doing something. I have no idea where he gets that from. I am a pastor. Um, and so I think, yeah, we're going to have to watch Haley. But uh, Judah is such a boy of personality. And uh, now he's two years old. And the age two is the prerequisite for the terrible twos. We've heard the terrible twos. Haley called it the trying twos. Is that, is, that, is that a thing? The trying twos? I've never heard that before. Uh, we're determined to not have the terrible twos, so please pray for us. We are going to have the terrific twos. Um, but Judah, at this point, has developed such a strong personality. You can talk to him. You can play with him. Uh, I enjoy hanging out with him more than some people. Uh, he's, a cool guy, he's a cool guy. And... Um, but there are three things that I have noticed about Judah over the past couple of months, the past couple of weeks, really, as he's really just grown in the, in, in the past little while. But there are a few things that I've noticed about Judah. Three obsessions I've written here. Judah has three obsessions. He loves stuff. He loves PJ Masks. He loves Paw Patrol. He loves all different kinds of things. But he has three solid obsessions. And I want to share some of those with you. I want to share those three with you now. The first one is this. He is obsessed with hot chips. He's obsessed with hot chips. Now, I know you're looking at me and saying, Sam, I know where he gets that obsession from. Um, and you wouldn't be wrong. Um, but Pastor Ben is encouraging me to eat, uh, you know, good food, healthy food. Kale slaw in the office is only kale slaw. So... Hot chips. He's obsessed with hot chips. You can offer him uh, some uh, chippies, he calls them. He loves them. The second obsession that he has is the magical word that all parents love to hear coming from their child's mouth, and that is the word no. He loves the word no. In fact, the only time he doesn't use the word no is when you say, would you like a chippy? Then he says, yeah, yeah, daddy, yeah, mommy, chippy. He loves the word no. And the third obsession that he has, and this is a reasonably new obsession, and this is something that's driving Haley and I absolutely crazy. The obsession is Toy Story. The Toy Story movies. Who's seen the Toy Story movies? Come on. There should be more hands up. Come on. You have to be a little bit like interactive if I'm asking questions and things. Toy Story. He loves Toy Story. Toy Story is an awesome. All the movies up till uh, uh, movie four, which has just come out on Disney+. Plus. And as a result of us getting Disney Plus, of course, Toy Story is the only thing that we watch now on TV, on, on Disney Plus. You know, uh, Judah has been watching this, this, uh, these movies, all four of them, day after day, relentlessly. We've had to change and make the rule that we only watch TV on the weekends because he's just getting crazy. He's worked out how to control our TV and my Xbox, which is what we use. Um, to watch Netflix and, and uh, Disney Plus and things like that. So he's learned how to use those things. So we've had to make rules, and he can, know, he can only watch those on the weekend now. But I think Haley and I have actually broken the Guinness World Records for having watched Toy Story more than any other people in the world. We have seen too much Toy Story. To infinity and beyond. That's right. 
And so I had noticed that Judah was watching this quite frequently. I'd come home from work, and what do you know? You've got a friend in me, Toy Story's on. And uh, so I decided a couple of weeks ago that even though I'd seen Toy Story so much, I was going to do a really boring analytical thing. I was going to sit down and see what we were exposing our son to. I was going to sit down and watch Toy Story again and see what this was all about. What, what was my son learning from all these things? And, and I must say, they say the word idiot a lot in Toy Story. They, they call each other idiots a lot. But other than that, it's actually an awesome uh, movie. Uh, there's some great values in there and some great things that I want to teach my son. I don't want to teach him to call people idiots, but uh, I want to teach him some of the values that uh, are in Toy Story. And so I watched it. I analyzed it, and I've got a few things here that I've found uh, from Toy Story, some of these good values that we see in Toy Story, and it'll make sense where I'm going with this in just a few short moments. But obviously there's the iconic song, You've Got a Friend in Me, which is the foundation for the whole, all the movies about friendship, about connection. Connection and community is a key theme in Toy Story. They love each other. They love their community. They're connected with one another. They take care of each other. Yeah, Woody and Buzz have a tiff in the first uh, movie, but they come together and get connected together. There's, there's the themes of friendship and love, the love that they have for their owners, for Andy and for Bonnie, the love they have and the friendship they have with one another. There's the themes about discovering your identity. Buzz is uh, confused as to who he is. He's determined that he is a space ranger from a Sector 12 trying to defeat Zerg, and Woody is upset that he is losing his place as Andy's favorite toy. There's identity crisis um, and themes of identity in there. But there's one theme that I've observed throughout this whole series of movies, and I watched Toy Story 4 yesterday. That was Judah's birthday present. <laughs> there's one theme that, I identify, that I've found from this series, and this theme is this, that even though they call each other idiots sometimes, they lift up one another and they care for one another. Throughout Toy Story, Woody and Buzz and the other toys are on this roller coaster ride of life, and their actions throughout all of the movies ultimately are always focused on caring for one another and lifting up one another. And so this reflection I make on Toy Story as I was thinking about it and what I'm exposing my son to, it made me realize that as I think of our lives in reality, back to reality, not about toys, but as I think about our lives, how true it would actually be for many of us that we don't live in a reality where we're being constantly lifted up, but we actually live in a reality where we're constantly being torn down. We live in a reality where the enemy is constantly tearing us down. The enemy is constantly pulling us away from God. The enemy is constantly trying to attack us. Now, I'm not saying that I think that the enemy's responsible for every single um, negative challenge, every single difficult challenge that happens in our lives, but it is true that the enemy takes advantage of all of the challenges, all of the difficult challenges that happen in our lives. Whether he's uh, been a part of the process or not, he definitely takes advantage of that. You know, over the last couple of weeks, um, I'm a young guy and um, starting some reasonably new roles in the life of the church, overseeing our connect stream and pastoral care and things like that. You saw my ugly face on the screens before talking about those things. Um, but over, just over the last couple of weeks, the amount of people that have come through the doors that I've sat with that have had relationship breakdowns or relationship challenges. I've sat with people and prayed with people who've been given terminal diagnosis, uh, horrible health challenges and families and marriages that are being torn apart. 
And so this has made me reflect on the need for us to focus on living a life that's being lifted up. And so tonight I'm going to share with you on this title, the title is of tonight's message, The Key to Living a Lifted Up Life. I shared uh, before our, uh, our passage of scripture, our text for this evening, and it comes from John chapter 15, and we're going to go from verses 1 through to 5. It'll be up on the center screen. I want to give some context behind this passage because this is the, you can leave that up there, that's fine. This is the passage where Jesus is talking about the vine. He describes himself as the vine, the true vine, it says there in the first uh, few words. And prior to this uh, statement by Jesus, prior to Jesus sharing this, they've actually just had the Lord's Supper, the communion that we share together. They've just had the Lord's Supper, Jesus' uh, final meal with his disciples. They've had the supper. Judas has gone away because he's already decided within his heart that he's going to betray Jesus. And uh, Judas goes away. And Jesus is now interacting with his 11 disciples. And between chapters 13, which is where the Lord's Supper takes place in the Gospel of John, right through to chapter 18, which is where Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has a long speech. He shares with his disciples a long speech. You can check it out from chapters 13 through to 18. It's just all in red in my Bible. And Jesus is just sharing. And basically the way I see it is Jesus not doing this um, you know, he's not nervous or scared necessarily, but he's just sharing, these are the last things that you need to know. My time is coming. These are the last things I need you to know. And we get to this passage, John chapter 15, verse 1 through to 5. And I'm reading it in the New King James Version. It's up on the screen. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The goal is to bear more fruit. Jesus says to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus finishes by saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus is the true vine. The vine in Scripture, it's really important as uh, we study through Scripture to understand what the context of what you're reading is. Any person who stands up on platform will tell you it's extremely important to understand the context. And not just by going back a couple verses and understanding what it is, but actually having an idea about what the cultural relevance is. What it meant as Jesus spoke to the disciples. What Jesus' words meant. And so as we study through Scripture in this passage, we can understand that the vine is a common symbol found in the scriptures for the Jewish people, the Old Testament scriptures. The vine is referenced a number of occasions to be God's people. It was a symbol for God's people, for Israel, for the Jewish religion. In the modern perspective, uh, from our perspective, we would see it as the church. The vine is a symbol for the church. Not the church Jesus, but the church, the structures and the programming and the religion and the rules and everything that uh, Jesus speaks out against in his earthly ministry. 
Jesus flips the script here and redefines the expectations of the disciples by saying that indeed he was the vine and not just the vine, but the true vine. In fact, what he's saying is, is you understand the vine to be the law. You understand the vine to be religion. You understand the vine to be the way of living of the Jewish people. You understand the vine to be the, uh, the services that we have. You understand the vine to be all of these things. But in fact, those things are not the vine. I'm the true vine. And if Jesus is the true vine, it makes these things really the false vine. And so Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And this image is interesting to me because if we take out the divine component, if we take out Jesus from this equation, Jesus himself largely describes in these passages, in these five verses, how a first century vine dresser would care for their vineyard. The vine and the branch are a picture that have a special emphasis on the complete dependence for one another, specifically the branch's complete dependence on the vine, the need for constant connection between the vine and the branches. It's obvious to us that a branch has complete dependence on its vine. If you take this uh, ficus tree here and you cut a branch off, the branch is now dead. There's no way that you could reattach the branch, not that I'm aware of, uh, and that would be crazy. But uh, there's no way to reattach it. It's completely severed. It's completely lost its connection. And the branch can no longer survive. The branch can no longer bear leaves. The branch can no longer grow because it's completely dependent on the vine. Our identity and our faith, then, is rooted in Christ alone and Christ himself. Not in Israel or, from our perspective, not the church. Not the structure, not the programming, not the religion, not the rules. But in Christ alone, our identity is found. In order to live a life that is lifted up by God, as our, as our question tonight, what is the key to living a lifted up life? In order to live that life, we can't put our trust into things like religion and programming, into customs and laws and traditions. We can't put our trust into ticking boxes, going to church, tick, prayer, tick, Reading my Bible, tick. Posting about God on social media, tick. We can't do that because it's not about, it's not about that. It's about being completely connected to the vine, the true vine being Jesus. In order to live that life lifted up by God, we have to dig down deep and be connected to God in a deep place. So I want to share tonight around this topic uh, that I've researched uh, during the week, and that's this first century viticulture. First century viticulture. I shared a message um, a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning uh, around our uh, Jesus and the authority of Jesus, walking in the authority of Jesus series, and we talked about uh, the wineskins, putting new wine into new wineskins. Jesus has come and he's doing a new thing represented by the new wine. And in order for us to hold that new thing, we need to be able to be made new and, and be new vessels, new wineskins. And viticulture is the study and the practice of, of creating wine and looking after vineyards and things like that. And so this week I, uh, I was doing some research on first century viticulture and I found out some interesting things. The production of wine in ancient Israel was not simply just for drinking. Wine nowadays is primarily for drinking. 
But uh, in ancient, in first century Israel, it was not simply just for drinking, but it was actually a powerful economic resource. It was used uh, for many different purposes. Wine was used for medicinal purposes. We see Paul write to Timothy. He says, you've been drinking all of this dirty, filthy water because that's all you have access to, and you're constantly getting sick. So have a little bit of wine here and there for your ailments so that your stomach can recuperate and heal. Wine was used for cleaning. It has sterile uh, properties because it's... uh, because there's alcohol in it. And so it was used for cleaning. Wine was used for dyeing cloth. Uh, no one here, of course, has ever spilt red wine on them, but uh, if uh, you get red wine on a nice white shirt, it's, uh, yeah, good luck. Have fun. Wine was even used as currency. Wine was used for barter. Wine was used for trade. Wine was used as a powerful economic resource. The scriptures highlight to us the significance of wine and and vineyards and winemaking. Noah was the first recorded viticulturalist. He got off the boat and he went and planted a vineyard. And then he drank a little bit too much wine. (laughs) Moses and his men traveled all the way to the borders of the promised land. And as they stood at the borders of the promised land, sent spies through. And the spies went through and they brought back these massive grapes that had to be carried by multiple men. And no doubt those grapes would have eventually been used to create wine. The area, uh, that area is prolifically known for its ancient wine making and its former vineyards, as well as its current vineyards. The Israelite kings in the Old Testament had a substantial collection of vineyards and stores for wine. There were servants that were specifically responsible for caring for and looking after the wine uh, and the vineyards. Isaiah the prophet writes in Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. You don't have to put it on the screen. I'm going to read it, but it says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it on with the choicest of vines. He built a watchtower in it and he cut out a wine press as well. It's incredible Um, I shared that uh, scripture a couple of weeks ago in that same message when we were talking about the wineskins to say this is actually uh, archaeological, there's actually proof archaeologically that this is the way that uh, wine presses and vineyards were created in the first century and beyond. Uh, That's the archaeological record shows that, but also we see that in the book of Isaiah, which I think is really cool. The vineyard to the first century Israel was a communal affair. It was a communal event. Families would get together and plant and care for and harvest and press grapes in order to make wine. The process was long and couldn't be done by just one person, so many people would get together and do it. It's been said that it takes a village to raise a child, and in the first century Israel, it took a community to build a successful vineyard. One crucial element in the uh, vineyard Um, care process was the care that they had to take for their vineyards and vines. One crucial element of the job of the vine dresser was to care for the vineyard and to care for the vines. Pastor Ben shared a story this morning about how great Danielle is at um, at keeping plants alive and uh, sort of stole my my story in a way. Um, But uh, I'm the kind of person that will see something cool or hear about something cool and decide, I'm going to go and do that. I'm going to go and try that. And so as a result, every time something comes up, 
I drop everything and I run with it. And I get excited and I get motivated. And Haley t will tell you it's her favorite thing about me, that I've never completed a project. And um, I'm always doing something new. And recently, uh, in the past couple of months, I thought I'd try my hand at, um, at uh, gardening and, um, and building a, a vegetable garden. Um, and so, of course, uh, I got all excited and spent all this money and stuff, as I do. And uh, I went out to Bunnings, and I grabbed some seeds, and I grabbed a bunch of uh, the little sprouts in the Bunnings section, a bunch of stuff that was on clearance, uh, all these different things, having no idea what, what time of year it's good to plant them or anything like that. I don't care. I'm going to make this happen. And so I go home with all these uh, things. I buy all this fertilizer and all this other stuff and uh, build myself a little vegetable patch outside. It, it was actually, it was Facebook, it was Instagram worthy, so it's on my Insta. And um, it's not anymore, but, uh, um, but I'm getting there. Um, and uh, I planted all these vegetables. I planted um, onions and spring onion, and um, it's not actually that many vegetables, and chilies. And um, what else did I do? Yeah, some other stuff. And, um, Anyways, no, not that. <laughs> and I planted all of these uh, vegetables, and I was super excited and impatient because it takes a long time for vegetables to grow. And so a week later, I had decided I was no longer interested in this, uh, in this vegetable gardening business. And I must say I'm very glad that there isn't a government agency that looks after the welfare of plants and vegetables and gardens and things like that because I'd be locked up for that. But the reason that my plants died and the reason that Danielle's plants have died too and probably everyone else in this room who does stuff with plants <laughs> is because of a lack of care. Oh yeah, it's hot too. I get that, yeah. But you can do stuff. You can do something about that. But it's because of a lack of care. We see this picture in this passage as the father who is the vine dresser prunes and cares for the branches on this vine. In this passage, there's uh, a, an interesting translation um, debate. There's an interesting translation debate as you read this passage. In fact, you can put the uh, verses 1 through to 4 back up again if you like. Um, but in the ancient Greek, the word airo, everyone look, in, look at uh, your neighbor and say airo. Airo. No, don't roll your eyes. Say airo. Airo. The word, the ancient Greek verb airo is translated in our English Bibles now as takes away. And you can see up on the screen here, it says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Say, takes away. However, studies in the ancient Greek language have determined that the word airo is actually more accurately translated as this phrase, lifts up. In my, uh, all my Bibles, my study Bibles and everything, there's a footnote at the end that says, also translated as, lifts up. And going on to... Uh, the uh, Blue Letter Bible app, which shows you some incredible, has some incredible resource. I really encourage you to uh, jump on the Blue Letter Bible app um, if you want to study the word. But on there, it shows you the Greek word and the translations and other occasions in which that word is used. And in almost every other occasion, 
the word airo is, is translated as lifts up and to be lifted up. It's used when talking about the raising of hands, when the lifting up of hands, the word airo is used. When talking about the lifting up of eyes, looking up to heaven, the word airo is used. And this idea of lifting up is actually very consistent with the vineyard care process in the first century. The way that vineyard care would work in the first century, because they weren't massive factories or anything like that, they were family-owned businesses, as I said before, and so they would create this vineyard, and the family would come together, and they'd care and cultivate this vineyard, and what they would do is the vine dresser would go through, the farmer would go through, and they'd look each and every day at his vineyard, his or her vineyard, and they'd walk through and examine the vines and examine the branches on the vines. And as they would walk through and examine the branches of the vines, they would see that some of the branches would not indeed be brought up. They wouldn't be positioned up where they could receive sunlight, where they, could, uh, where they were out of the moisture that was on the ground or whatever it may be. But actually, they were down on the ground and they were, they were lying on the ground. They were, they were covered in moisture. They were not receiving any sunlight and therefore had no opportunity to survive, no opportunity to grow, no opportunity to bear fruit. And so what they would do is they would then take those branches that were hanging down on the ground and they would lift them up and they would secure them up high so that as the sun came through during the day, they could receive sunlight and they could begin to do its sciency thing and it could uh, thrive and it could survive. The reason that they would do this, because some people might walk through, some people like me, for example, might walk through and go, ah, eh, whatever. But the reason that they would do this is because that to a first century Jewish family, the vineyard was their livelihood. The vineyard was their income. They would not have wasted any of it whatsoever because it was their livelihood. They were taxed so much they had to get as much money as they possibly could to be able to look after themselves and look after their families and pay off their debts. And you can ask any farmer. We have some farmers in the life of the church the amount of care that they put into uh, making sure their crop thrives, making sure that their cattle thrive or whatever it may be, the amount of care and the attention they'll go through to make sure that it thrives and flourishes is huge. And the reason they do it is because it's their livelihood. And so in this passage, the father goes and lifts up the unproductive vines off the ground so that they would receive more light and have a better chance to grow. As these branches are elevated, they will receive more sun, they'll yield, they'll begin to flourish, and then they'll be able to be pruned so that they can yield fruit. It's important to note that to ensure the care for the vineyard can occur, to ensure, to enable the, uh, the vineyard to actually be looked after so that the vine dresser can come through and care for it, that the actual branches must still remain attached to the vine. They're not attached. There's no way they can be reattached, as we talked about before. The branches must remain attached in order for there to be growth and in order for there to be connection. And Jesus is teaching us here the importance of being connected to him. As in order for us to bear fruit, we must become completely dependent on him. In this passage, Jesus emphasizes a mutual relationship. Abide in me and I will abide in you. And Jesus always does his part and keeps his promises. 
He says, he who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. The fruit bearing is an inevitable outcome when there's abiding occurring. When the branch is attached to the vine and when the vine dresser is caring for the vine and the branches, fruit will be an inevitable outcome. So as long as the branch and the vine are connected and as long as the vine dresser is caring for the vineyard, the fruit will be a product. Would you stand with me tonight, please? And the band can come up. The title of my message tonight is The Key to Living a Lifted Up Life. And the key to living a lifted up life, a key to living a life where the vine dresser comes by and lifts you up each time you're down is by cultivating a radical connection with Jesus. The key to living a lifted up life is to cultivate a deep connectedness with Christ. The key is to rest in his love and to be obedient to his commands. The key is to be willing to be shaped and to be formed. The key is to have complete dependent faith even as we experience pain in life so that the Father could use us to produce more of Christ in us and produce more fruit in us. Would you bow your heads tonight? I want to ask some questions and, and um, provide an opportunity for two groups of people to answer this evening. But tonight, between you and Jesus, answer these questions. Are you connected to Jesus? Are you someone that is being used by God? Are you constantly growing closer to God? Or do you find yourself moving further away? Are you producing fruit? Maybe you're here and you need to be lifted up and pruned and cleansed so that you can begin to bear more fruit. This isn't an instantaneous process. Healing has to occur. Regrowth has to occur. Pruning has to occur. In my efforts to try and resurrect the, uh, the difficult plants, I found that uh, as you would care for them, they would slowly grow back and slowly get better. But then unfortunately, I stopped caring for them again. And sometimes it takes time. But in order for us to live a life where we're being lifted up by the Father who is the vine dresser, we need to cultivate a deep connectedness with Jesus. We need to rest in his love and be obedient to his commands. We need to be willing to be shaped and formed and we need to have complete dependent faith even as we experience pain in this life. You know, right across this room, I'm gonna ask uh, two questions, two groups of people, a question. And the first group of people I'm going to talk to is, maybe you're here tonight and you have never connected to Jesus. We use this metaphor, this allegory for the vine. And Jesus being the true vine, but 
Jesus here is crying out and saying, I am abiding in you and you need to abide in me. I just want you to abide in me. And tonight you may be here and you may not have ever made a decision to connect with Jesus. You may never have made a decision to follow Jesus. You may not know and identify Jesus as your savior. Savior. And tonight I want to give you an opportunity if you've never made that decision. You may have this idea that God is a bearded man in the sky wanting to smite you or wanting to to send you to hell because of the wrong things that you've done. And the truth is, is that's not at all the picture we see at all as we read these few verses. Instead, we see a picture of a savior who's saying, I am the true vine, I am the way. And you need to just simply abide in me. And so tonight, if that's you, if you've never made that decision and tonight you'd like to make that decision, maybe you have once upon a time made that decision, but you feel like you've walked away from God or, or you've done something you just feel like God could never love you. I want to say again, that is not at all the picture we see as we read about the true vine. But we see the picture of a God who loves us, a God who cares for us, a God who wants to lift us up when we're down. A God who wants to prune us so that we can bear and grow more. So if that's you tonight, with every head bowed and eyes closed, just for the privacy of people who may be making decisions tonight, I just want to ask simply, I'm not going to embarrass you, that you just quickly raise your hand so that I can see, just have a look at me, and then put your hand down. I see that. That's awesome. That's great. Is there anybody else? Right across this room, to my left, to my right, is there anybody else making that decision tonight? That's awesome. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name for my brother who raised his hand tonight, God. Father, that you would just invade the lives of people making decisions tonight, God. Father, that they would know that you're the true vine who just wants to be connected with us, Father. Father, would you bless each person that's made decisions tonight in Jesus' name. Would you just grow and bear more good fruit in Jesus' name. To another group of people tonight, I'm not going to ask you to get out of your chairs or anything like, get out of your seats or anything like that, but I just want to ask a question tonight. Those, who us, those of us who may know Jesus and call ourselves a Christian, we are not exempt from the struggles of the world. We are not exempt from the challenges. We are not exempt from the beatings that Satan and the enemy seeks to take us away from Jesus. But Jesus here offers us an opportunity to live a life that's being lifted up constantly. He offers, offers us an opportunity to connect with him. And as we connect with him, that the vine dresser, the father in heaven would care for us and help us grow, that he would prune us. And so tonight, I just want to ask in this room, still with every head bowed and eyes closed. If tonight that's you and you want to live a life that's constantly being lifted up by the Father, you want to live a life that's continuously growing deeper with the Father, then I just want you to just raise your hand. You can just keep your heads bowed, but I just want you to raise your hand. This is just between you and God saying, that's me, absolutely. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. Father, I just pray in us that you would help us to live a life that's deeper and connected to you. 
that you'd help us rest in your love and be obedient to you, that you would help us to be able to be shaped and formed, God, that you would help us to win more souls for your kingdom and bear more good fruit in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person who's raised their hand tonight, responding to say, that's me, I want to grow deeper in you. I want to be more connected to you. I want to live a life that's constantly being lifted up in Jesus' name. I just pray that you bless each one of us tonight. Help us grow. Help us hear from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us in the podcast. For more information about Desert Life Church, go to desertlifechurch.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day and remember, you belong here.